0: You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Study after study of people who are truly successful shows that they don't work 90 hours a week, right? It it shows that it is counterproductive. To overwork, it shows that it's counterproductive to undersleep, and 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 yet you'll see somebody, a client, I'm sure you've had this. They'll nod their head and they'll say yes, 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 but then you see them posting on their Facebook feed, hustle, outwork, no rest, no vacation. We have to acknowledge that we're living in a culture that really celebrates overworking, and 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 really um, looks down on self care. It looks down on rest. It looks down on anything but massive success.
0: That was Carrie and Demir Bentley, the husband and wife team behind Lifehack Bootcamp. They join me today to discuss how radical self-care is the key to unlocking better work and more happiness, which is an important topic to us all given that so many people think about our work as getting more work done, often at the exclusion of living a better life. The missions of our separate businesses center around helping people live rich, flourishing lives. And it turns out that to do that, you often have to shift the focus from one's work to your life. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Carrie Demir, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to have this conversation because so often people come to us with our brands, which they think are around sort of productivity and getting more work done and things like that. And it skews a lot of the conversation. Um, and having this particular conversation about radical self-care and really the space between what happens when you're getting stuff done, I think is a super important one. So thanks for coming and and having this conversation with me.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Charlie. We are so pleased to be here. We are huge fans of productivity flourishing and um, just can't wait to talk about radical self-care.
0: Okay, and you know as i was thinking about prepping for this conversation um it reminded me of a paraphrase of aristotle right which is the end of all the end of all human action is flourishing and the point mm. that he was making is like we do stuff to thrive to flourish we're not just out there doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff and the reason i was thinking about that as i was sort of contemplating this conversation is so often I think we get into this habit of thinking like if we just do the things, self care, um, flourishing, thriving space will happen. Um, yeah. but in my experience, both as a person, but also out, you know, teaching and, and, and working with clients, it's not the case that if you just do all the things and you complete the next three items on to do list, that all of a sudden there's space in your schedule. Right. Um, and so, I just kind of wanted to set that up because I know that you guys have been talking about this as well. So, so let's jump into it. What, what are your thoughts about that particular um, sort of thread of the conversation?
1: Yeah, let's dive in and pull this start because there's a lot here that people get wrong. I think you and I both agree. We all agree here. Um, but I think to start with this, it's, uh, it's important to understand that whatever your religion, if you were born and raised in the United States, you are Protestant. You're from a Protestant work ethic culture. And in a Protestant work ethic culture, we have a very dangerous attitude about work, which is that work is its own reward. And you don't need any rest. Rest is for the weak, no rest for the weary. Hustle culture, work harder, outwork the next guy, right? Um, and study after study of people who are truly successful shows that they don't work 90 hours a week, right? It, it shows that it is counterproductive to overwork. It shows that it's counterproductive to undersleep. And 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 yet you'll see somebody a client, I'm sure you've had this. They'll nod their head and they'll say yes, 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 but then you see them posting on their Facebook feed, hustle, outwork, no rest, no vacation. And I, you know, so I wanted to for my part in this three-way conversation between me and Carrie and you is just throw out the like a little bit of like if we don't recognize the bathtub that we're all sort of soaking in, then you know. Then we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we have to acknowledge that we're living in a culture that really celebrates overworking and 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 really um, looks down on self care. It looks down on rest. It looks down on anything but massive success. It's just success, success, success.
0: Yeah. Well, I didn't know we were going to go all Durkheim on this one, which is fantastic, <laughs> but, but no, it's, it's true. We are part of this, but I think there's two things when we think about the Protestant work ethic. One is it's all about success, but there's this other deeper point where your happiness and your salvation is contingent upon how hard you work, exactly. right? So that you deserve these things when you work really, really hard. And so if you were not already happy, Maybe you work a little bit harder and you get there. Or if you're just happy and content or you're in, you know, in those places, um, then, you know, a lot of different things happen, right? So one can be the sort of weird thing of like, you know, um, if you're already there, are you really content with yourself? So it gets this sort of ratchet thing. Like if you are just content and happy with where you are, something's wrong with you. Right, right. Because there's always work to be doing. Right. And so it's this weird sort of thing that it does to us, because not only does it make it about work, 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 work. But if we're not happy, it's because we're not working harder. So we should work harder. And if we are happy, something's wrong with us. Right. Because there's something else we could be working and doing.
2: Yes, it's very strange. And I think most of us have realized by this point, that if we've been working, you know, for longer than five years or so, that actually the amount that we work and push ourselves is not correlated with how happy we are, and there's actually if you sit down and make a list of what actually makes you feel happy and rejuvenated and excited, then you know hopefully some of the items in your work are on there. But certainly it's not going to be you know uh, overworking and working 14 hours a day or any of that stuff. And um, something we want to get into too is actually the importance of self care in getting you those rapid results. And, and actually being that secret tool that is so leveraged in unlocking 100% of what you can do. Um, and that's something that Demir and I are really passionate about sharing with people because when you can unlock that, you actually find yourself working less but getting a lot better results. Yeah, yeah
1: there, There's really no correlation between, if you look back, really a challenge, anybody who's listening to this, look back to the times in your life when you really surged ahead. And We've done that. We've actually done time tracking and look at the most successful periods for not just us, for our clients. And very often, people surge ahead in two really interesting moments in their life. One is when they hit a moment where they say, screw this. I'm sick of it. And another, which is really important, is in a moment where they've just come off a long period of rest. And you see this time and again, if you take, and that's why it's, we always tell our clients, When you take vacation, don't take anything less than five days, nothing less than five days, because here's what happens. First day, it's almost like it's just travel. Second day, you're you're in a daze. You're not even enjoying yourself. You're 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 still your brain is spinning. Third day, you drink a lot, eat a lot. Right. Hedonism takes in fourth day. You're just terribly bored. And on the fifth day, you're so bored. You think you're going to lose your mind. And then right into that milieu of boredom, you have an idea. You have an idea about what you're doing wrong. You have an idea about what you need to be doing differently. Boredom is an essential part of productivity, and it is probably one of the most maligned parts of productivity.
0: Well, absolutely. It reminds me of, um, I forget which chapter in Cal Newport's deep work where he talks about the, the ability to be bored and the tolerance of being bored. Right. And I think that's where, especially with all the devices, and I say this tongue in cheek because I'm, I'm experimenting with a, with an Apple watch now, you know, just (laughs) showing them an iPad mini. So I'm in a deluge of devices, but I'm experimenting because I'm actually wanting to get rid of some of the devices that I have. Right. Um, and so like, if I'm not messing with my phone because everything I need is on my watch, then I, that's one thing I can get rid of. But We have, because of technological options and all the great things there, we have essentially trained ourselves to anytime there's a gap between sort of beta brain activity, meaning focused on something, getting something done, and not, we fill it with something. Because heaven forbid that there's, you know, five minutes where we just sit and think, right? And it's not just heaven forbid, it's we don't know how to do it. (laughs) we literally yes, can't exactly. sit and do it anymore. Right. And so there's these two poles is like, okay, like five minutes, I got it. Like, maybe I could check an email or maybe what what's going on on Facebook or um, maybe I can like, maybe I can hyper optimize my closet so that, you know, I'm three seconds faster <laughs> getting a shirt out or whatever randomness that we have there. Cause we have to be doing something as opposed to being like, it's 5 minutes. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to lay on the floor at shavasana. Right? I'm going to do all sorts <laughs> of other things which again, we don't we literally do not know how to do anymore. I say Absolutely, we as yeah. a broad as a broad sort of thing. Some people know how to do it, but generally speaking, we can't do it and we shame ourselves when we even think about doing it.
2: Totally. Yeah, I just read the book uh, 10% happier uh, by Dan Harris this past summer where he talks about the benefits of his journey with that. And it is always like the hardest thing is just to sit still and not think about anything and not do anything and not let your mind wander for even as little as a minute at a time.
1: You know, what's funny is we have a lot of clients who um, who come back from Burning Man just completely, just, just on fire, on fire about their business. And um, there's so much special about Burning Man. Um, but my secret theory about Burning Man is that The most powerful ingredient of Burning Man is that you can't use a cell phone. There's no cell. There's no cell phone signaling. Even if you had it, it wouldn't be useful for you. And we we have clients come back in a very similar state than other clients come back from Burning Man when they've taken a week of hiking with their you know college guy friends in the Sierra Nevadas, or when they do something else. So it's this is actually pivots into a really interesting um, sort of pet peeve around or sort of a pet theory of carries which is that it's not enough to take time off. We have to be, just like we're trying to be leveraged in our work, we need to be leveraged in our time off and ask ourselves, is it truly restful?
2: Yes. So one of the things that we love doing is really defending our time that we have off. So if we end work, say at 4 p.m., you know, we're, we're both racing the clock. We're like, we're done at four. All right. Like, are we getting everything done that we need to? It's four o'clock. We're off. And we have pre planned activities to do in that resting time. So, for example, yesterday we took an hour of Pilates and then we went to like an hour and a half of salsa. And it's like, sure, we were tired and probably, you know, sitting and watching Netflix would have been easier. But we came back from salsa just like on fire. We were so excited. And we're here in Colombia right now. So it's even more like authentic salsa. We got to meet some locals. And it was just we woke up even more rested and rejuvenated than we were um, last night. and And furthermore, like even on you know the events that we speak at and that kind of thing, we choose them really carefully because it's basically our little vacation. In fact, we just got back from an event in Nicaragua where we were there speaking, but it was also a fantastic chance just to disconnect and have conversations with really awesome people who are also in our industry and get creative about what other things we could be doing with our business. Um, and so that's kind of my theory around self-care. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, this is really interesting because one of the things I've been meditating and sort of contemplating on recently um, So. Um, when this comes out, it'll be public knowledge, but I can share with you. So I recently just got a book deal, right? Which is fantastic, right? And so that- Nice, shifts-
1: congratulations.
0: Yeah, thank you. So it shifts a lot of um, what I call the metrics of productivity, right? Because prior to this, it's been around other dimensions of what it means to get where I needed to go. But now it it alters the mix because now public words on page becomes a, a, a key a KPI because I got to ship a certain number of words above and beyond what I would ordinarily do for the business as well. So I'd have to change things, right, to make that happen because it's not going to happen on its own, obviously, right? Um, And so I've been just really doing a qualitative audit of the way that I spend my time. Um, And one of the things that I've been thinking about is since – I have to I have to bring all the readers in and also Carrie and Demir because they may not know this. So around June, um, I was I wasn't burnt out, but I was on the well done ramp, right? Where it's like before you're burnt crisp, right? I'm like this is like mm, I'm going to get off before I get there, right? And so I dire- I went through another productivity experiment to where the rules of that game were um, I had to be done by five, no more than eight hours per day working. Um, creative time counted as work, which was a new, which was a new thing and no admin between meetings. Mm. So, um, because you know, the deal, like between meetings and appointments, like we're on a podcast right now, like I'll jump off, I'll do some things. I'll check a few emails. I'll prep for the next one, but I had to excise that pit. Right. So it's like record done out of the office. So, mm. yeah it really changed a lot of like, Oh crap. Like, how am I going to get this done? It was also a heavy client load period of time for a lot of different reasons, which is fantastic. But, um, by making creative time count as work time, um, and getting it all done in eight hours of a day, it made it super clear. Like, wow, I'm not at the position where I can deliver against 65,000 words by September and do everything else I need to do. So something else has to change. So that's kind of the the backstory here. But what I was looking at was what I did as non-work time, um, I made it super, super clear. Like anything on the computer screen, any email, any sort of the tinkering that we do as entrepreneurs, that all counted as work, just to make it super clear. All the writing, all of the research, all of the reading, that counted as work, right? Right. Um, and so the first question I had to figure out is what the hell do I do with myself? Right. If all yeah. of that, is, if all of that is gone, what do I do with myself? Right. My journaling counted, right. Except for really hmm. personal journey, journaling. But if I was brainstorming or anything like that, that had anything like work, it counted because I was just like, I'm going to make the simple model. So I was doing some audits over what's happened over the last, I don't know, six months. And it came. So One of the things that I did is I started playing video games, which is I have this love-hate relationship with because it fits this band of activities that's high enough engagement that I don't default into thinking about a bunch of stuff that's that's not that time, but low enough that I don't wear myself out, right? So it's right in this perfect band. Um, But I was thinking last night, no, as I was meditating on this, sorry, long setup, but it's important, right? Um, (laughs) um, Do I enjoy writing? more than I enjoy playing video games. Do I enjoy tinkering with Zapier workflows and building systems within my business to eliminate waste and redundancy more than I enjoy these other types of things? And so the metric was not what type of category, but how much I actually enjoyed it, right? Um, And so it's creating some of these interesting scenarios because as far as boundaries go, I could have the simple boundary of four or five, I'm done, right? Or... I can say I'm done with this type of thing or I'm done with this type of thing. But the whole point that I wanted to slide in here is when you really look back, it's what rejuvenates you. Oh, here's where I was going with this. The other part of the audit is realizing that the things that I, that I hate thinking about the most that I dread the most are actually the things that rejuvenate me the most at the same time. Like I hate thinking about going to the gym. Mm -hmm. I dread it being on my schedule. It actually rejuvenates me. Rejuvenate rejuvenate means I can't talk. It actually refreshes me far more than watching Netflix. Far more than playing video games. right? And um, I was talking to someone on a monthly momentum call about this yesterday because she's a night owl and she has a transition period like most people do. So she goes to work, she comes home, and then there's this transition period before she goes. And I was like, my best advice for you is to fill that transition period with Exercise, meditation, yoga, something that rejuvenates you, because that's the only thing that actually gives you more energy. Anything you else you do either depletes your energy or at best maintains it. But exercise, salsa dancing, you know, those types of things are the only things that give energy back. So the whole point of that long sort of thing is, one, um, focus not so much on how hard the activity is, but whether it rejuvenates you. To recognize that oftentimes what's comfortable is not nourishing, and what's nourishing is not comfortable. Like it's comfortable to eat fries, it's not very nourishing, yeah. right? Um, which means, in an odd way, when you're trying to think about self care, you have to introduce a little bit more work to make it happen, be, a little bit more work in the sense of non comfortable or of activity that's not comfortable that you may not like to do, but has this payoff at the end of it. Does that make sense guys? Yeah,
1: totally makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because we just, uh, we, we just started doing uh, a new course called fast course and it's our framework for time mastery. And you know, the conceit of it that really has blown us away is this idea that time mastery is something we treat as one thing, but it's actually four things. It's a, sort of like a four-piston engine that if one of the piston blows, the whole engine blows. And it's focus, attitude, stamina, and time. And we think of it only as the T in fast, but we think of it only as time management, right? But it really is, if you don't have focus, but you have attitude, stamina, and time, you're still screwed. If you have focus, but stamina, and time, but no, and your attitude's crappy, you're screwed. And what's interesting is we're taking people through that course, and they're, they're looking at me and they're saying, Are you kidding me? Because every single week what we're doing is we're having them take the 168 hours and go forward for that week and say, hey, you've got 168 hours that have been given to you by God or your higher power, whatever you want to call them. You don't get to just budget out what you're going to do with the work hours. I want to see every single precious hour. And people say, oh, that's going to take all the fun out of it and blah, blah, blah. And the truth is every single person down to the last person comes back a week later and says, I have never been so connected to my kids. I've never been so resources. We we actually, it's so funny. um, We had uh, a woman named um, Margie take this methodology and she was a partner at a law firm. You know the, the type of people. Totally overwhelmed like 100% overwhelmed, like came to us and basically said, I don't even have, know if I have time to consult with you. I'm that busy, right? I don't even know, how, know if I have time for you to help me. And we had her just do that simple practice of auditing her the seven days, project forward, audit what actually happened. She came back and she said, I spent 11 hours reading the news. I never would have imagined And so, you know, I couldn't agree more with your your basic premise here, which is you need to program your work life, you need to budget your work time, but you also need to program and budget your personal time and your family
2: time. Yeah, but that also doesn't mean that it needs to be, you know, something that's boring or that just gets you to perform better because Uh um, we're big advocates of making it as playful as we can be. Like our whole goal in life is just to become kids again. Like that's our goal with our business. Like we want to create more freedom. We want to have the space and time to travel um, and the space and time to not have to work all day in order so that we can just, you know, play essentially. And um, I love that because actually playing builds up that stamina element, that self-care element that we've been talking about, because that is the stuff that makes you feel rejuvenated. Like you were saying too, like the stuff of going to the gym, like you're kind of, kind of playing at the gym, right? Or like for us, like with Pilates, like, sure, it's hard but it's fun.
1: We really look forward to it. And you know, what's funny is we work with some really high powered clients and these are people who have like four or five businesses at the same time. I would never do that personally, but they've chosen to do that with their life. But, um, you know, they'll look at us and they'll say, they'll look at aspects of our life. Like we traveled to 18 countries in the last two years, or we're religious about our naps. We take a nap together as a couple every day at one o'clock religiously, right? That is not an optional. That is a have to have. Every single day at 4:30, when we quit work, we sit in the hot tub and we do a decompress. And we sit down and, and have like 30 minutes in the hot tub. And you know, for a lot of people, they think they look at aspects of our life and the way that we've you know operated powerfully with productivity, and they think that they just focus on the productivity elements. They just focus on what, how much money we've generated, how much press we've generated, the kind of clients we've worked with. But frankly, it's the thing that I brag about the most to my friends is I get to nap with my wife every day.
0: Yep. And
1: what that does for me in our relationship um, that means at the end of the day when everybody else is just like going down and they're pissed and their cognitive load is d- d- drained I've just had a 30 minute sleep and a 30 minute snuggle with a person who's a favorite person in my life. And what that does for me is it means that whole second half of the day I'm crushing it. And, and it's those small things that we you know, just getting back to the, the prompts from this whole thing that's what we're missing in the productivity conversation today is, is the other side. We've got 180 degrees of it. We're missing the other 180. It's operate powerfully so that you can live powerfully.
0: Yeah. And sometimes you have to live powerfully before you can operate powerfully. And this is, that's the reverse that people think, again, if I just do all the things, if I generate the success, then I'll be able to take, you know, a wife or a nap at one o'clock with my wife. And sometimes it's you take the one o'clock nap and you make that the non-negotiable and that mm. powers the rest of the thing. Right. And so, mm, I love that. Um, and because I think there's, um, and I've noticed this sort of in many of the productivity experiments I've run, like one of the things that I'll shift around is, where does my sort of joy work? Where does my rejuvenation work come from? And yeah. for me personally, it comes in the morning. And when I play with that, or if I mess with that, the rest of the day gets all messed up because I'll show up for a podcast interview and I haven't done my thing. And so I can't be here because I'm thinking like, I should have done my thing. Or I'm working with a client and I'm working on their business and we're working with their stuff. But there's this piece of there's this piece in the background where I'm like, I, I didn't get to do my thing. And so I can't be fully here. Right. And so the very best thing for me to do in that scenario is to focus on my thing first. It's sort of the oxygen mask thing. Right. Put oxygen on yourself first and not jump to um, the kids that need it. Right. And it turns out that if you put the oxygen mask on yourself right. first, you create a lot more oxygen to share with other people. Um, but you can't just focus on the oxygen for the other people. So it's this weird sort of thing that to go forward, in sort of Western language, right? To go forward, you have to go backwards, um, and it, you know I've it, it jump in and say,
1: yeah, this really, this really. I'm glad you called us out about that because I, the way I said it really did line up, like operate powerfully to live powerfully. But when you called me out, it really made me think. The way that it happened in our life was actually the way that you said we we actually didn't we didn't start we didn't have to give ourselves permission to live the life that we wanted to live. We decided to live it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it started from a lifestyle design standpoint and then a productivity standpoint second. So it wasn't, you know, how can our career enable the life that we want? It was how can we build the life that we want and how does our career enable that first? And so the things that are at the center of that are the things that bring us joy, you know, being together and spending time together like being able to travel the world and have freedom, like whatever those principles are for for you, um, you know, that's what's at the focus. And then if you're honestly, if your career isn't serving that, then that's a big problem. You know, that means that it's almost like if life is like a Rubik's Cube, you're solving for the career side, but there's all these other sides that are just, you know, going going haywire.
1: Oh, totally. We have, have, it's so funny. The weirdest phenomenon in our life is that we've started to make friends who are making six, uh, high six, seven, eight figures. People who have got, you know, I'm starting to call them more money than God friends, right? (laughs) People who are like asking us to do things and we're like, Wait, you have a plane? You know, like it, that kind of stuff. And they're jealous of us. They're jealous of us because I think a shift that's happening, it hasn't happened, but it's happening, is that we're looking at that Rubik's Cube. And I think we're starting to understand that we've been admiring people who have solved one side of the Rubik's Cube. We've been saying that's success. And now people who've gotten that, they've gotten the money, they've gotten the press, they've gotten the success, they're looking at Carrie and I working on something that matters to us that makes a difference in people's lives taking a nap every day at one one o'clock being able to travel having freedom and they're saying you know what even though i have more money than you you've more artfully solved the rubik's cube and i admire you for that it's such an interesting i think subtle point
0: absolutely and you know really what happens here is that um From a motivational point of view, and a lot of times when we're starting to talk about personal change and self-mastery, you have to dial in what motivates you. And so when you're thinking from the place of this is my life, like, and I'm going to continue to use the 1 p.m. afternoon snuggles, right? Like any choice going forward, you can tie into loss aversion because you have to decide whether you're willing to give that up to do it. Right. As opposed to if you're coming from the other place where you're like, well, I could change my life so that I can gain that type of thing. Now that seems to be a subtle point. But when we have experience of something that we value, and we have to decide to give it up, it actually helps us make better decisions than if it's a potential thing that we think might be cool. Right. And so sometimes that's why you have to change it to live powerfully or to, you know, really do those types of things so that when you're presented with the option of you can do this, or you can give up this thing that you really enjoy. In my experience working with people, they won't give up the thing, and so they'll make a firmer boundary than Mm. when you flip it. And it's like, well, if you make this different choice, you might gain this thing, right? Um, Right. It's it's very subtle, but most of our motivation comes from subtle differences like that, right? And um, sometimes you have to put it in there. And it's one of those ask for forgiveness and not permission. So if you're, you know, if you've got a job and you sort of slide in working from 11 to one and you get used to that and then your boss catches on and they're like, well, you know, this is going to be a problem. You have to then decide Does this 11 to one period that I've stolen. Is it worth giving up for this career? Or is there some other negotiation that I'm going to have? But if you wait for permission to do that, or you wait for the the right time, you don't have that emotional anchoring that makes the difference. And I think, a lot of ways, when you look at um, why people who have kids also will make different decisions that lead them to be more productive and more focused on things is because again, yeah. loss aversion is at play in a different degree to, to those of us who are kidless, right? Because we can play around with our schedules and we might not lose anything, but people with kids lose something important, right? It's certain types of ways. And so I, that's kind of the point is you have to think about, um, and this is kind of, um, piggybacking on some of the work that Marshall Goldsmith did in triggers. So pro tip, whenever you talk to productivity folks, you're always going to get a list of books, right? So we've already mentioned four yeah, or five totally. books, which <laughs> is one of those things. But figuring out what your positive and negative triggers are, right? And, yes. and making sure that you have enough things on your list um, that that really you lose them or you feel some pain if they go away. And so, again, that might mean every day – from 6 to 7 in the morning, you go and jump in a hot tub, right? And if you have to make choices that prevent you from doing that, you won't do it, right? Um, Or, you know, just just think about that. And how this relates to self-care is, again – As long as we're under the Protestant work ethic model where self-care and things like that are either luxuries or optional or things that you have to work for, you don't actually get them in your schedule. You don't actually get them in your real world to lose them and to use that motivational anchor that's going to help you maintain it.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that, Charlie. And one thing we like to say is um, to commit yourself. So if, you know, if you have kids at home, you already have sort of like a built-in commitment, right? But if you don't and you need to create some other commitments in your life, then go ahead and do that. Go ahead and commit yourself to those dance lessons you've been wanting to take. Um, commit yourself to, you know, being home by a certain time or whatever it is that you are that you want to do that's going to rejuvenate you. And then that becomes, you know, a solid thing in your calendar. It's not this thing that may or may not happen depending on what happens with your work.
1: You know, the good news in all of this is, you know, I was, I'm thinking a lot about uh, Rick Chambers, the CEO of Online Parking Pass, one of the clients that we work with. And, um, you know, we all start with these big dreams of like, ah, I want to fly on a plane. And for a lot of the people who've done that, uh, you know, they find that their pleasures are much closer to home, right? And so, uh, you know, our friend Rick uh, and a former client, uh, you know, when we worked with him the number one thing that he realized that he was getting out of it was turkey hunting trips with his guys that was it that it was turkey hunting trips if he could manage his four businesses and put them on autopilot so that he could basically for most of turkey season be gone and not be in the office that for him was his bliss and we've seen it time and time and time again it's you are going to fly in that plane and you are going to touch those like big mountaintops. But the funny thing about it is that when you get there, you're going to say, okay, I did it. I, you know, it's not going to be the thing that you think it is where, where people really get rejuvenated is self time alone, doing the things that fill them up, exercise, taking care of their body, being with their friends and family. I mean, it's so stereotypical, but thankfully true that the things that really fill our cup don't cost anything.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think it's a, if you do feel that urge that you need to be more successful, then ask yourself, you know, what what's driving that? Is it, um, you know, a need to prove yourself? Is that sort of your primary motivation? Is it because you're trying to prove something to somebody else? Um, is it, you know, is it because you don't feel like you're good enough for some reason? A lot of those times underlying attitude issues are what's really sabotaging us because we're almost like at a slave to them and we don't even really realize it.
1: Yeah. So we get to have our you know, we each, I'm, I firmly believe this, but my favorite productivity movie of all time is that movie for the Office Space from the 90s. That is my favorite productivity movie of all time because the lesson that is running through that movie is that when you put yourself at the center of your life, quite the opposite of failing, which is your deepest, darkest fears, that you have to work more to be worthy, you have to work more to get money, you have to work more to do important work, that when you Decide first, this is who I want to be, and this is how I want to live, and then find work and restructure work around that. That's actually the beginning of tremendous, unimaginable success. And it's true. Like, people always say, you know, Demir and Kerry, like, how do you guys live this incredible life for your digital nomads flying around the world and, you know, only working 32 hours a week and yet also having a thriving business? And, and it all started with a moment. When we were not thriving, when we were not rich, and we, it, but it was a moment where we said, I'm going to say the, the PG version, screw it. We looked at each other and we said, screw this. Can't do this anymore. This is not working. We we're both in New York, working the New York hours and the New York thing. This is not working. We need to move to a place where we want to be. We need to live the life that we want to live and then find work, meaningful work that supports that. And the strange thing is quite the, op- we were willing at that point for it to mean that this was the end of success for it. If Like we were actually willing in that mo- moment to sacrifice success for meaning. And the funny thing is in that moment when we got there, that was when we actually, that was the beginning of success.
2: Well, what's funny too about that moment is we actually got ill. Like We, we both developed chronic stress-related illnesses. Mine, I had had all my life um, and Demir's was like literally correlated to his job, um, which was really interesting. And so what that forced us to confront was that like years of our life were being taken away from us because of the way we were working. And so it wasn't this like, oh, you know, if I work for a couple more decades, then maybe I can have this amazing retirement. It was like, hey, if you keep working like this, it'll only be for a few more decades, and then there will be no retirement, you might be dead. Yeah, so, you'll die
1: before retirement.
2: Exactly. And so it was a, it was really a great moment for us. Actually, I'm so grateful we have that because it forced us to realize that we could have everything that we wanted in retirement, you know, today, and we could just build that right into our life immediately.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of a conversation that I had Two conversations. Right. One conversation that I had with Courtney Carver on our last podcast where she mentioned that it was the wake-up call of her health that actually led her towards minimalism, right? Is that she realizes the way her maximal life was going was literally making her sick, right? And so that was her sort of wake-up call and, and so go and, and going forward from there. But I was also talking to a client who sort of charted it out that like ten years ago. Um, and she's going to write a post on this. So hopefully we'll be able to link by then. But 10 years ago, she was, you know, up three o'clock in the morning. She's in, you know, she's in Europe up three o'clock in the morning because there was a West coast deal that she was trying to secure. And so at five o'clock, she sort of looks at herself and is like, is this life? Like, is all my life just work at a certain point? And then sort of five years later, much like Carrie, she was like, am I going to live past, you know, another five years? to where she is now, which is now she's looking at what type of life she wants to live and crafting that sort of sort of thing. And so we see that sort of trajectory. What I'm saying here, folks, is you don't have to wait for the burnout. You don't have to wait for the wake up call. You don't have to wait for someone to die. You don't have to wait for all of those different things that, I, again, they do provide those moments of clarity, right? They do do that, but you don't have to wait for that to decide, you know what, I'm going to start making these incremental changes that make my life better. But again, a lot of those incremental changes are going to be on the self care slash recovery slash things. And so I've gotten to the point to where I'll make a default rule for folks is like if it's if in your list of things that you want to accomplish, is something that people brag about, it's probably not the right thing for you.
2: Right. Mm, and so yes. if, people,
0: if people brag about having a plane, they, dra- they brag about all these types of things, not saying that it's wrong, but because there's so much evidence, it shows that once people get those things, they're not actually happy. Right. Yes. And so I say it's actually the reverse. It's when you really dig into what's making highly successful people, um, highly happy people happy it's all these random things like turkey hunting or, you know, snuggles or whatever. Right. It's like, I personally, um, I don't have an Instagram friendly life in the sense that I don't like to travel. I'm not an artsy guy. I'm not a foodie guy. Right. I like to sort of stay at home, build stuff. Right. Right. And things like that. And if you ever want to see a picture of that, like it's really boring to have a picture of a guy at a computer writing. Right. And it's normally not very sexy. So I don't have an Instagram friendly life. Right, which is great because I don't like Instagram, anyways. Um, (laughs) And I was also thinking about you guys like, for me and my wife, we don't want to be nomads. We actually like being rooted in our community and having our home be where we are. Right. And so I'd much rather spend the money on the hot tub like we bought this year, right, than a few trips because we want to be here and that's what works for us. Again, not very Instagram friendly that, like, hey, it's six o'clock and we're outside in our hot tub type of thing, right? Um where most that people That sounds are, pretty
2: yeah. Instagrammable to me, but That's by the pretty Instagrammable. <laughs> well,
0: not for the reasons we would normally say. But n- <laughs> anyways, um so the whole point here is if you're looking at that list of sort of your things when you, you things you'll do when you're successful, I would want you to look at like look at the common things that you really, really want to do or that you want to make more space for. Because yeah. more more often than not, that's what's actually going to be what makes you happy and productive. And yeah. successful, right? It's those sort of things, and it reminded me. I read something from um, um, about Warren Buffett's sort of breakfast routine. You guys have probably heard this, right? But Warren Buffett, his his wife gives him a certain amount of change in the morning for what to buy based upon how the market's doing, right? And if the market is doing really well, he gets like two dollars and seventy six cents because he can get an egg McMuffin with sausage. And I was like, really? That's the thing, Warren. You're like one of the richest men in the world. <laughs> And, you know, you get $2.76 in the morning for an egg friggin' McMuffin, like that's your thing, but that's his thing. Right. And he's Warren Dan Buffett. It works for him. And who the hell am I to say anything about that? Because it's apparently working for him. Right. And so it's really mundane sort of random stuff like that, that really works for you that I'm hoping this conversation gives people their permission to one, allow themselves to actually allow themselves to want it. And two, to allow themselves with it being okay that that's what they want. That they don't have to want the plane. They don't have to want the world travel. They don't don't have to want the New York penthouse. Like, give yourself the space to want what you want and optimize your life around that.
1: But, you know, I would also caution, and this is the entire basis of our work, I would also caution people to feel like to swing the opposite direction. That if I'm putting myself at the center of my life, I'm giving up success. I'm giving up money. I'm giving up financial security. Um, And everything about our work at Lifehack Bootcamp is showing people that, no, in fact, when you put yourself at the center of your life, it is the beginning of success. It's the beginning of your business working. And so, you know, that's, I think, a dangerous, if you're listening to this and you're resonating with it, and you're saying, yeah, you know, screw that. Because screw that, frankly, is a powerful motivator. I encourage you, get to screw this. Get you and your wife sit down and accelerate yourself to a point where you're sick of it. You don't want to live like this anymore because the worst place to be is hanging right one or two pegs above that level. Because when you get to that level, screw this, amazing things can happen if you process that in the right way and you use that energy. But we work with person after person and the people we work with admittedly are pretty high powered people. So we don't tend to work with people who can't keep it together. We tend to work with people who are already doing great, but maybe they're paying too high a price for that success. Maybe they're trapped in their business. Maybe they're missing the best years of their daughter's life. You know, there's that window when your kids are old enough to actually speak and have conversations, but they don't think you're uncool yet. You know, and a lot of people come to us and say, I'm missing that. I'm missing that 10 year window when they want to be with me. And so that's our focus, is being able to show people, yes, you can keep pushing your business forward and your life forward and your mission forward and be there as a father and a husband.
2: Well, yeah, and for those same people, also making sure you ask yourself, you know, what kind of experiences am I creating here? So if my daughter is grown or my son is grown, then what are they going to think of me? And are they going to think, hey, I was just a parent who worked all day Mm. long? Or are they going to think, wow, my mom was so cool. You know, she was a professional ballroom dancer and she did aerial yoga you know, and did all this other stuff and in addition, and wrote a book just yeah. for fun and not, not even in the career field she was in because she was just you know that dedicated to um, having a fully lived life with a with a really unique set of experiences. I just love thinking about that for for myself. Um, you know, when I die, I want people to remember me for that, not necessarily just for the work we do at Life Hack bootcamp, but for how full a life it was that I had.
0: Absolutely. And so I'm glad you mentioned that, Carrie, because in our conversations, especially as writers and entrepreneurs, we focus so much on the books and you know so much on the business side of things. but there's this whole other aspect of life around philanthropy, about being involved in your community, around community service, around being involved in the Boy Scouts, if that's your thing, being oh. a- being a good member of church and those types of things that again are also things that you can put on that list. It's not maybe not the sexiest thing in the world, right? You're not going to be time person of the year um, because you were the, you know, um, you were a volunteer at your church. But it might be just the thing that nourishes you that makes a difference. And so again, if you if you listen to this, so I I I always think about the ways we have productivity conversations from people who may not be sort of in the echo chamber that we're in. And sometimes to just imagine those people who just feel exhausted by even listening to it. Like you're just so out of breath. And, that, and especially when I think about how I feel sometimes about the way Gary Vaynerchuk talks about things. Right. And this is not an insult against Gary Vanerchuk but Gary wears my ass out. I'm like, dude, take a freaking breath, man. Like, <laughs> And, you know, there's other things I can say, and that is not a character assassination, but it just seems so, ugh, you got to do all the things, right? If you're feeling that way, it's one, you probably haven't found the thing that doesn't feel that, because I'll tell you on this side of things, it doesn't necessarily feel that way. The things we're doing make us come alive, and so we can do a lot more of it, because it's priming the pump, right? But you got to find the thing that primes the pump for you, which might be being a baseball, you know coaching little league baseball, you know, with your community kids that really gets you excited. And you know what, that's fantastic. And that's way better than getting, you know, the plane that you don't want, that you never get to fly, that you can just tell your friends about, right. Rather be involved in the peewee league, right. And be excited about that than anything else.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I'll get, you know, to be balanced, I'll, I'll give Gary, I think something that he deserves, which is, you know, when you, I would agree with you that the hustle more, work more is it, 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 on balance. I understand what he's trying to do. I understand what he successfully does is get people in a generation that's unmotivated and, and foreign, frank, a little bit foreign. It, like work, Hard work is a little bit of a foreign concept. He's getting them out there and I think getting them reconnected to a little bit of that blue-collar immigrant roots that we've gotten a little bit away from. Like, yeah, you do need to work hard to get results. But when you actually track him, you see him like one of the things that I like is he stuffs. He looks at that 168 hours and he makes the most of it. And you can tell that he does. Um, and that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. And that's, that's why we love taking people through that exercise of projecting, like take your 168 hour, hours, break it into half an hour increments and assign something to every single increment. Nothing should be empty. And, and that, when people look at that, it's sort of the first time that we do that with people, their brain sort of breaks. Like it, it breaks a little bit. They're like, wait a minute. Like the definition of having a good time and in, in, in getting refreshed is that I don't have anything scheduled, right? It's that I don't have a plan on Saturday morning and I just do anything. And the truth is study after study shows that if you don't program your personal time, you will enjoy it less, right? And and if you do program your time and you look at your week and you realize I mean, let me, if I may, just get on a a really quick soapbox here. In the in the personal development world, we're really hard on the scarcity mindset, and we're super pro expansion mindset. You know, oh, you know, whatever you want, just grow it. You want more money? Think that you want more money. Want more money? And and the problem with time is that it is a pie that you cannot grow. And so we say, oh, you know, scarcity mindsets are hurting you. No, there's some areas in life where scarcity mindset is a good thing, right? You've only got 168 hours. So a scarcity mindset, like anything in life, like with money or with air or with years in your life, whenever you get into a scarcity mindset, when it's the right paradigm to use, it makes you value a precious limited resource more. And when we value precious limited resources, we allocate them like carefully and with intention. And so, you know, what what I was thinking about when you're talking about Gary is it it flashed me back to those videos he does when he gets up at four in the morning and he works out and he shoves a bunch of stuff. And I know the point is to show, hey, this is possible. But what I take away from that in, in my life and when we train other people to do it is there is enough time. There is enough time to be a great father and a killer businessman and uh, and and a and an important person in your community. There is, but you really have to get into a positive scarcity mindset around it.
0: Absolutely, and and thanks for the balanced view, Gary. I didn't mean to disparage him, but I'm saying yeah. if you're watching him, you can feel sort of like coming from a oh, certain Oh, I'm with place, you. You can totally feel you. that. And you know what's fantastic about it is that um, yes, we. Hmm, I'm going to comment on this instead. Um, I'm with you in that I love constraints and I love displacement, right? I love that idea of just saying you can do this or you can do that. You can't do them both in this slice of time, which one matters more to you, right? Because I think we get really sloppy and we make really poor decisions when we have a white space that everything is possible right now. So we end up with these to-do lists, which are basically bullshit right? That at the end of the day become just another way to whip ourselves because you're only going to get three rocks done a day. No matter what you do, there's three rocks you're going to do. true. Right? So why put 17 on there, right? The 14 are just going to be something you're going to throw at yourself later on. So don't even do it. Right. But when you can say you have three things to put on your list today, and if it's worth being on the list, you got to fight for it. So this like thing that you really love, you don't like you either put it on the list and you make time for it. I say five because creative people always sort of rebel against three. So it's five, but then they learn that it's closer to three, but that's another matter, right? Um, so you get three to five things, you put something on there. And if it's not what you want, you got to make a different choice. You can't just like wish that there were more time. There's going to be no time in the future in which things will mysteriously be like, this is my fun time. Like, And it's not like people are one day going to wake up and be like, you know what? Carrie, it's your day where we'll focus on what you really love and focus on your priorities. Like, we've all collectively decided that. So what would you like to do today? That day does not happen, right? And so you have to start making that happen by letting go of other people's priorities and things like that, right? And so, and I know it sounds funny, but we somehow have this mythical thinking that at some point, and maybe it's the abundance mindset, that at some point, there's going to be this open space in my schedule, At some point, people are not going to show up to me with their problems and expect me to solve them. At some point, I'll have my shit figured out, right? And I'll know what the hell I'm doing, right? At some point, I'll have the courage to do this thing that's been afraid. At some point in the future, it ain't happening it hasn't happened for a lot of people and it's not going to happen. You create those times, Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And this is also why I'm such a huge proponent of integrating your personal to do list with your work to do list. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always asking us, Oh, well, should I have a separate, you know, Asana work board for my personal items? And I'm like, Well, why? Your life is your life. Just put everything on your personal to do list and prioritize everything together. Um, because just like you said, it, it, there's never going to be a moment where someone says, Okay, you're done with all your work. Go check your personal board now and do the things that you love doing. Um, it's, it's all one life.
1: Well, in fact, you know, one of the things that I've really marveled at in my own development is one of the things that I've preached for people who follow us, they know for years and years I've preached, I'm not a morning person and everybody in the productivity space is like, you need to get up at four in the morning and you need to work out for an hour. Right. And, and, and that appeals to the self punishment part of us that believes that if it's good, it's got to hurt really bad. Right. No, I like morning snuggles just as much as I like you know, afternoon snuggles. I like to wake up slow. I like to read the news a little bit like in and, and people marveled at that. But you know what happened? Interestingly, this last Thanksgiving was we, Carrie and I looked at each other and we'd we gone to visit my parents two Thanksgivings ago and we ended up working a lot. And, it, and you could see the look on their face and the disappointment in their face when they were, they wanted to go out with us. They wanted to drive around, see things. And we said, no, well, we got to work. And this time we, we swore that's gonna be different. And so we locked in, we said we are going to for the two weeks we're there, we're gonna spend time. And we're gonna to have to figure out some other way to get it. And the only other way to get the six or seven hours of work that we needed to do in was to wake up at five AM. Now we were coming from Easter time, so actually it wasn't much of a sacrifice. So we were already programmed to be waking up around five AM. But we woke up at five AM, we were at work by five: thirty or six. And we worked from 6 until 12, and from 12 until 8 or 9, every single day, we spent an entire day with my family. Now, everybody knows, people who know me are going to go, oh, Damir, you woke up at 5 a.m.? You know, it, because it is it is one of my things. I don't wake up early. But I did then not not to prove something to myself, and not to prove something to anybody else, but because there was a reason. And we find ourselves doing miraculous feats of productivity, When there's a reason, and so, you know, back to what Carrie says, program your personal life. Set that in there rock solid. You know, take that responsibility as a deacon of your church or sign up for those dancing lessons or be the baseball coach for your kid's soccer team. Because if it really matters to you, you will figure out how to fit the rest in.
0: And if it doesn't – And it will matter. Yeah, and if it doesn't matter to you, you won't do it right? And so that's the other thing is like, if there's something I talk a lot about the the project cage match, right? And the basic idea is you can list all the projects you want to do. And it's like the American cage match where people will start, you know, those projects will start getting thrown out of the ring, right? Because they just mm-hmm. cannot compete with the other things. And so if you notice that you keep making the same sort of decisions, one thing that you could really look at is actually providing security for your kids is a really big priority. Right. So maybe risking and starting a business and things like that is not the best thing for you. Like own that. That priority is super important to you and be there, be fully there. And when you go to work, it's like, you know what, I'm doing this because this is what matters to me. Right. And yes, I might like another world where I do this type of thing, but this is what actually matters. It's going to win the cage match, whether you put it on the list or not. So you might as well put it on the list. So that, so that, you know, it happens in that way. The second thing, and I'm glad you guys mentioned that they're planning the, uh, to putting personal stuff on the list. Like people ask us that about the momentum planners like, like, do I have one for personal and one for business? I'm like, nope, because you only have room to do three to five rocks, no matter what it is. Like, it doesn't matter what the thing is. That's how much time, energy, and attention you have. Right. And it's going to take that. So you might as well get it all in there so that planning your wedding doesn't fall to the back end. <laughs> While you're doing other things, anything that takes time, energy, and attention, I think I talked to Carrie about this earlier, right? Anything that takes time, energy, and attention is a project. I don't care what it is, moving, traveling, kids going to college, you know, going shopping for Christmas, making turkey dinner, doesn't matter. It's all a project, right? And it's going to displace something else because it's in space and time. And, you know, those space and time in physics isn't infinite for us in our practical existence, Right. It is infinite, but it isn't a practical existence. (laughs) It's finite, right? It feels very finite for us because it is. Um, So yeah. um, And the last thing I'll say on that one, if it's worth doing, it's worth planning to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's personal or professional. Because the other thing that I see is like people have these really sophisticated, complex, and great ways of figuring out how to do their professional work. And they don't apply that to their personal lives. And I'm like, why did you spend the last decade mastering that thing and not applying it to the thing that's most important to you, which is a, your life, right? How is it that so true. I'll say this on sort of social change side of things. Like, it's really frustrating when people know how to research the hell out of everything else. But when it comes time to get involved in their community, all of a sudden they're helpless. They're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you can speak Lothlorien man, right? Um, uh, you know, um, you know how to do these things. So Apply the skills that, that make you successful in your work, in your career, to your personal life. If you are a master planner and strategist in your, in your work and career, you can be a master strategist for your life, right? If you are a great connector in your life and in your personal life and career, you can, or excuse me, professional life and career, you can be a great connector on the personal side. Like, these are not two different, like, separate, no, never shall they touch sort of things. Apply the strengths from one domain. Um, to the other domain. So if you can make work work, you have the capability to make your life work too.
2: Yeah. And something we would add on to that is just talking about this concept of do each one extremely. So if you're at work, be extremely at work and just, you know, kick butt but if you're at home and you've decided that this home thing, this you know, the home activity is their priority, then be extremely there and make it, you know, really worth your time and attention. Don't be checking your phone and seeing if there's an email from, you know, your boss or one of your employees at the same time.
1: Well, we're coming into the holidays and a good example is we, we all go home to our parents' house and we, you know, plop, we come in, we barely give mom a kiss. You know, we don't take off our shoes. We drop right down on the couch, and you know, do the Al Bundy, and you know, stuff our, you know, turn on the football game, and we act like just being home for Thanksgiving is God's gift to your mom or your dad or whoever. And the truth is, you're there technically, but you're not extremely there. Meaning, you're not showing up in a way that is communicating love and connection. You're not creating moments. Extremely there is walking in with a bouquet of flowers and saying, mom, you are the most beautiful person in the world. Extremely there is, you know, for me and my father, setting up time to go work on stuff around the property so we can get that one-on-one sun time. Extremely there, you know, for my other friends and family members, is making sure that I make time for my older brother and I to go on a walk alone so we can get connected away from his kids not because I don't love the kids, but because we need to get some connection time and Thanksgiving's the only time. And so when you take that concept of being extreme, you say, am I extremely being a husband this week? How, what is an extreme version of being a husband or wife look like this week? What is an extreme version of being a dad? Because the funny thing about people is... Their emotional needs can be met in a very short amount of time. You think that somehow you need to spend 20 hours a week with your kids when all you need is to really show up big for two hours to set a lifelong memory in their brain that says, wow, my dad is the coolest. Right. And so being extreme, I think, is such a fundamental underpinning of how we think about approaching
0: life. Yeah. And to your last point, um, if you haven't read it, pick up the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Um, because it's one of those things where when you figure out the love languages of the people involved, it might be that your dad just wants you to do acts of service with him around the property and an hour of doing that is way more than spending 20 hours with him sitting and watching the football game, which would be quality time. And so figure you know, take the time to figure out that language because it's not just about being efficient. It's making sure with the time that you have, that you're giving people the love that they need and, and are craving. And it also happens that you can do it much briefer because sometimes your mom just might want flowers. That's, that's the thing, right? Um, she wants the flowers you spending, you know, the whole weekend with it doesn't actually matter because that's not what she wants. She wanted flowers. Um, the second thing is, is if the extreme thing feels too extreme for you, the way that I talk about it in a similar way is the difference between being there versus being present, right? You can be there, but not be present, right? You can be there because you're on the couch, looking at your phone and looking at all of what your friends are doing on Facebook and Instagram, right? What we're asking you to do is be present, right? To where you are, to what's being needed and to the context of whatever you're doing so being present especially you know looking at the holiday season being present that the context of this season is around family friends and community bonding and that is again the matrix of productivity if you want to look at it that way that we're in question not necessarily your ability to be involved in every damn thing everywhere else so either be extreme or be present that's what we're asking you to be um, so I love that. Thank you. So Carrie Demir, um, looking at the time I could wrap with you guys for a long time, but I know we have to wrap it up. <laughs> um, given that you're the guest of the show today, um, based upon what we've talked about, what would you challenge or invite our listeners to do?
2: Mm, I would definitely say challenge yourself to think about one thing that you've always, um, sort of push away from yourself as being too silly or not adult enough for you to take part in, Um, some dream that you've had that you've been wanting to do, whether it's taking juggling lessons or whatever it is, and uh, take a step that commits you to that, to take an action on that.
1: Yeah, you know, what I would say is I would challenge you to realize um, something, you know, we have these moments in life when a friend dies, a family member dies. In those moments, the truth becomes clear to us that life is precious and we might not be alive next month. And maybe for a week or for a month, we step it up. We, we really bring our full self. We realize that, this, that, that there really is a scarce amount of this precious thing called life that we get to have. What I encourage you to do is really step into that emotionally really step into that and realize that what we believe every day, which is that, "Ah, this is just a grind and "Ah, this is such a hassle, that's not truth, that's the lie. The lie is every single moment, every single half hour block that we get to be on this earth is God given. And so I would encourage you guys to really challenge yourself to step into the full appreciation of the 168 hours that God gives you every single week and ask yourself what you would do and this is my challenge to you if you're listening, ask yourself what you do if every single week you had to apply for the next week from God. Like, oh God, this is what I did with my 168 hours last week. Here's my proposition, my proposal for what I'm gonna do next week. And if you do that one thing, promise you, promise you it's gonna change your life.
0: Terry, Demir, it's been a blast. Um, I'm looking forward to what I hope will be our next conversation in our different spaces. So thanks so much for joining me today.
2: Thanks so much for having us, Charlie.
0: Thanks,
1: Charlie.
0: All right, listeners. So you heard it from Carrie and Demir. On the one hand, think about that thing you've wanted to do since you've been a child and think about how you can make that happen in the next week. Now, what I'm going to do is push it one further step. Chunk it down into something that you can do a taste of it in 15 minutes or maybe 30 minutes. It doesn't have to do be the 200-hour project. What's the 30-minute to two-hour project that you can do? Second sort of thing, and this one's from Demir, is... Uh, pretend as if you had to apply for the next week from from God, your divine source, the universe, whatever makes sense to you. How would you spend that time if you really had to fight and apply for it? Until next time, stand Tile. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that'll help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, We'd really appreciate it if you'd
2: leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.